0: First John chapter 2, if you'll go ahead and turn there. Uh, 1 John chapter 2. We're continuing the series, This Means War. And today we're looking at the battle against the world, the battle against the world. Uh, You know, the Bible seems to indicate that the enemy, uh, many of us are very familiar with the enemy, uh, really approaches us on two types of uh, ways that he approaches us. First of all, there's that direct approach uh, that we have seen a couple weeks ago. Uh, And then there's that indirect approach. In which he begins to to help uh, bring the things of this world to the forefront of our minds and he seeks to make those things appealing that this world has to offer and that's much of what we're going to be looking at today and and so when you think about that whole idea what makes that so dangerous well just look around and you see what's so dangerous about it the western culture Uh, There's so many things that surround the Western culture that uh, pulls us away from from God Himself, uh, from the teaching of His Word, from even truth. And we find that in so many different ways. So look at the introduction down your outline. We, as followers of Jesus, are under attack on three fronts the enemy, our flesh, and the world. And we need to be aware and alert. To be successful in this battle for our soul, we must analyze our enemy. We've done some of that utilize our weaponry we're going to be looking at that next week and of course realize our victory we're not fighting from defeat we're fighting from victory the whole purpose of our lives really when you think about it as followers of Jesus is the fact that we're we're literally in this battle but the battle's already been won and and the thing that we need to do is claim what comes with the winning of the battle and the fact that we don't have to yield to the flesh, we don't have to do all these things, we just need to live the truth of God's Word. So, what does he mean by the world? What, what's, what's John, today we're going to be looking at this, what does he mean by that? Look on the outline, the meaning and message of the world. 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, when you look at the verses we're going to be looking at, verses 15, 16, and 17, you'll see that the word world is mentioned six times. There's this fascination that John is talking about when it comes to the world and the fact that the world can mislead us. And when he begins in verse 15, when he says, love not the world, he's not talking about the beauty of nature that God's created. He's not talking about the people in this world. He's not talking about that. What he's talking about is what comes from the word cosmos. That's what this word is. And as you look it up in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, you look at that word, it's cosmos. And it doesn't mean the people. It doesn't mean the nature of the world. It's this. It's where we get the word cosmopolitan. It speaks of order or arrangement. It's a system of ideas or activities. Literally, it means the operations of the world, the operations. You could put philosophies in there. You could put uh, uh, modes of deception in there. You could put all kinds of things in there, and we're going to look at what John could possibly be meaning if he were speaking to us in the 21st century in the Western culture. So therefore, when the Bible tells us, love not the world, it is talking about the system of thoughts, the ideas, the actions that oppose God. Now, the question we gotta ask is where did it all go wrong? I want you to think about it. When you read the story of the world and you go into Genesis chapter one and chapter two, you'll have these ideas of creation and you see God creating this and he says it's good and God creates that and he says it's good. He creates man and it's very good. And and you see this beautiful picture. It's like the artist just painting this beautiful canvas picture of how good the world and its potential has. But then Genesis 3 shows up and something happens. Something happens. Look here at the verse. Genesis 1, this is is where it gets to its best. Then God saw everything he created, and indeed, he says, it was very good. It's like an artist just taking a step back, looking at his creation and saying, that is good. Now, can you imagine that? that? That's a beautiful scene that you see there. Then comes Genesis chapter 3, where it appears that everything has gone wrong. The world has been introduced to sin and rebellion, and it has filtered down, if you think about it, to us thousands of years later. In Romans 5, 12, here's the the scenario. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. He's basically saying we're born in sin. We're born in sin. And he basically says, the fact that we sin proves that we're born in sin. And that's been handed down to us since Genesis chapter 3. It's made its way to where we are and how we live. So the world became corrupt and continues to become corrupt. So from Genesis chapter 1, we find perfection. In Genesis chapter 3, we find corruption. So again, here's the language. At the fall, in Genesis chapter 3, the appetites of the flesh, we see sin is aroused. The emotions of the will is where we see sin fueled, and then the rationalization of the mind is where we see sin that is justified. And when you think about how sin plays out in our lives, that's where you find it all beginning. The arousal, the fact that the will wants it, it's fueled, and then we begin to rationalize in our mind that we should be a partaker of that. It's where it's justified, but it doesn't end there. Then the pride of the heart, that's where we protect our sin. And that's what happens when we are defiled by sin. And then, not only that, the deception of others. That's where sin is reinforced in our lives. Now, let me tell you what that means for many of us in this Western culture We have a lot of deceptive messages out there that is basically deceiving those who are already in sin. And so therefore, as we make our way through this process, the world, the world, the influences of the world is what is bringing the greatest deception that I believe we've ever seen as as long as man is being created because there's so many avenues to get the messages of deception to replace the truth in our lives. So this progression leads to spiritual blindness resulting in devastating consequences. And we see that all around us. Next, we see the systems of the world. In Ephesians chapter 2, we have this whole idea. It's interesting, we've mentioned Ephesians 4, 3, now we're in 2. We're going to cover the whole book before it's over. But anyway, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, there's two verses there. As Paul begins to talk about how great this grace is that, that God has provided through Jesus. But as he makes his way there, he describes what we once were, and he does that in Ephesians 2, verse 1. It says, And he made alive us who were dead in trespasses and sin. We, this is how we were born. We proved we were sinners because we sin, and we're there. That is our condition. Now, he says, Before that grace touched your life, and before you came to know Jesus, in which you once walked, how did you walk? According to the course of this world, its ways, its deception. According to the prince of the power of the air, the enemy was involved too. You saying it wasn't just the world, there was the enemy. And the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. I mean, it couldn't get any worse than that. It seemed like everything in the world is against us as we attempt our pursuit to live for truth. How many of you feel like that sometimes? It feels like everywhere you go, everywhere you step, there seems to be these possible pitfalls that are there. And the world introduces us to it. And what's so bad is that inner nature that's in us, that flesh sometimes seeks to, to, to bring those things about. And we discussed that a couple of weeks ago. But what systems have come into the Western culture that is impounding, impounding this idea of deception in us. Well, there's some major movements that have happened over time, and they're listed there on your outline. These movements, and here's what I'm convinced of, have conditioned us in many ways because we continue to hear these. And, and what's amazing about these movements is, is they're everywhere, but they have different messages attached to them. And we see it everywhere. There's the first movement of secularization. It's the process where Christianity and the church are no longer the dominant influence in society. How many of you see that slipping away? We do, I mean, it is very obvious we live now in a secular world. I mean, you can't help but see it. Now, what are the driving forces of our society? There's some who would blame it on the government. Many, the schools. Many would agree, the media. I mean, it, you think about it. There's not many TV shows or movies or whatever that doesn't have some kind of agenda attached to it to drive something home, to drive a political view, to drive uh, something that's out there. There's all, it, it's coming from everywhere. And it's this idea of secularization. Many would agree that it's getting more and more difficult to take a stand for Christ, to stand for truth. And when you think about Jeremy as a young man, he's not too young, by the way, but anyway, when you think about that fact that we're here ordaining him to be a person who stands for truth, that day's getting tougher and tougher to stand for truth, to stand for what the Bible says is truth. You see, the world brutally demands our conformity to its false values and ideals and mercilessly punishes us who do not conform. And we're seeing it. It's becoming more and more obvious as we look around. People who stand for truth are vilified. Secularization is slowly eroding the influence of Christianity and the church. And it's happening all around us. You know, I hate to be the one to bring the gloom and doom. But let me tell you something. And how many of you, when, and it's like the song we sang, How many of you are sitting there and you think, man, what is the world going to be like for my children and my children's children? What's America going to be like? And we could sit there and we could say, well, the wrong person won this election and the right person won this election or whatever. We can blame it on all those different things. But y'all, there's something moving behind the scenes that's bigger than any election, and it's been in place for decades now. And it continues to move and influence. And the thing that we need to understand is it will be a different world. And I think it will be more challenging for our children and our grandchildren. And, and we feel sad for that. But let me just tell you this. Every time there has been those struggles to stand for truth and to live for truth, there's always been some kind of backlash where you look at those people and their faith is more pure than possibly ours are going to be. So here's, what here's this is the hope I want to give you. is the fact that it may get tougher for our children and our children's children. But every time we've seen where the culture came against the faith, there was a refining process that happens to people's faith. And that is something that will be good for our children. Now, is that something we want? No, obviously not. But there's a silver lining anywhere you look at it where the Spirit of God is working. And that could also be with our children and our children's children. Another major movement in the world is privatization. It's the process where a person's private life should not influence their public life. It's that whole idea that character and integrity doesn't matter. And we just basically just put it on the back burner. And, well, you know, it just depends really on the results. And, 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 and that may be one thing when you, some of you looked at an election this past year. But the thing that we need to understand is that integrity and character does matter. And we got to make sure that through the thought processes we've had recently, that that is not eroding in our hearts, that it still matters that people have integrity that their private life does match their public life and that goes for us as pastors and those who are called to teach the word we it must match pluralization is a third process of being tolerant of all lifestyles and beliefs basically truth is not absolute not only are there many options of truth to choose from here's what our world says all are valid Not only there's all these different ones, they're all valid. Logically, however, this is impossible, but it's widely accepted. You know this. In our society, tolerance is considered the greatest virtue. The greatest virtue. Even when that tolerance is extended to falsehoods, to deception, we are just supposed to go along with it because that is the leading virtue that's driving the Western culture now. However, here's we as who stand for truth. We cannot be tolerant of something God's going to judge later. We can't be tolerant of that. This movement has not only crept into our society, it's crept into our churches. It's crept into denominations. And it's there. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, I just read it as part of the ordination. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear the truth anymore. But according to their desires, they have itching ears. They want to hear what they want to hear. They're going to raise up their own leaders. And there's plenty of people out there who will sign up for it and they will continue to propagate the deception against the truth. And that's what we find all around. And it says, and they'll fall for it. Their ears were turned towards it. Now, what does all this mean? The fallout from the major movements, well, one of them is relativism, relativism which, is, which is that idea of what is true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. And y'all, that sounds sweet and everything, but that's where a lot of deception comes from. That's where a lot of it comes from. It carries a mindset to, to the extreme. You carry the mindset really to the extreme, and you're going to have anarchy and chaos. Are we not seeing that? Yeah, we're seeing that. How about this one? Individualism. I am under no authority and accountable to no one. There's a lot of that out there too, isn't it? Hedonism. If it makes me happy and does not hurt anyone, then it's okay. No matter what it is. But you know something? Every action we have will affect people. Did you know that every action that we do, every reaction that we have will affect people? And that's just, that's just not true. Naturalism. Everything is meaningless and untrue. If it cannot be proven by what I feel, taste, see, or hear, then it's not true. These all lead. Listen. Play to its fullest extent. It all leads to hopelessness and life without purpose. You say, how do you know that? I get, I get this from the Bible, too. I've shared it with you. Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, the wisest man to ever live. Tried it all. Tried every philosophy out there. Tried to have everything out there. Never fully filled the void that was in his life. Didn't come through. Always disappointed. I came across this article. Sadie Robertson, she's married now, Huff. You remember Duck Dynasty? Remember those guys? Well, the daughter of one of those guys is really... Uh, saying some things that's really connecting with young people right now. And, and, and she puts the truth out there. But listen to what she says. In a polarizing society where truth has become increasingly relative and mental health issues are rampant, Generation Z, which is those 18 to 23, listen, is craving absolute truth, discipleship, and community. All these things, there's a generation that appears to be coming down the line in which we're finding that they've reached out to everything that's been put before them, everything that's out there and open. And by the way, everything's out there and open now, isn't it? And they're saying it doesn't come up. It comes up short to fill what's deep in them. They want something that's for truth. They want community. They want something that they can be told. And and then the article, it talked about how a lot of these young people are reaching out to older mentors to help them. That's phenomenal to see that this may be something that's growing. Again, the world does not deliver. These movements are creating a void only God and the church can truly fill. Next, we see the methods of the world. And the first thing we see is the persuasion of the world. And, and, and I've shared this with you every time. It's perp- the persuasion of the world is to squeeze you into its mold. We talked about this almost every week of this series. And again, here's the verse do not be conformed, okay? Don't get squeezed into the mold of the world, don't be conditioned by the world. And by the way, that's going on. Many people are being conditioned. The only way you won't be conditioned by the world or squeezed into its mold is unless you take an intentional involvement to discipline yourself around truth. Because if you don't, you'll fall for every bit of it. And we see people falling over themselves to fall for these things that are not true be, how do we do this? Don't be conformed. Don't be conditioned. Don't let, don't be squeezed into the world, but be transformed. How are we going to do this? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I was talking to someone this past week and, and basically, how many of you, when you listen to the news, it it gets kind of depressing? It really does, doesn't it? And this person was telling me, someone I think a lot of basically said, you know something, what I have to do in the mornings is, the first thing I do is I can't turn on the TV. I just need to get in the Word. I just got to get in the Word. That's, I got I to center my focus on what it needs to be centered on. Doesn't mean I don't watch the news later, but I have to start here. And the problem for many of us is we never get to the truth. We just hear all the other messages. We got to stick to the truth. What does it mean? What does it mean to not be conformant? It means it's trying to squeeze you into its system of thought. The world's trying to squeeze you into the way of its own con- conduct. But the Bible tells us, according to Scripture, we are to be different, to be conditioned by the world. That's what it's talking about. Now, here's what you need to understand about the Bible. The Bible says that there really are two modes that are out there. There's two modes that are trying to condition you. The first mode is the enemy. He has a plan. He has a purpose for your life. You do know that, don't you? And then there's God's plan, his purpose, and it comes by way of truth. That's where the renewing of your mind comes from. Next, we see the pressures from the world. Look at verse 16. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He he basically takes... And says, all sin, this is the way I see it, can be summed up in these three phrases. All sin, okay? So these pressures, I want you to think about, comes through this idea of lust. Lust means to desire, to crave, to long for. It's that idea, I'm going to die if I can't get this or that. There's a longing that reaches into something. It may be something that's good or it may be something that's bad. In this case, he's talking about something that is bad. Now, now think about this. The process the enemy uses in making what is a healthy desire abnormal, okay? And the world buys into it. Here's how he does it. Look on your outline. Desires activated by sight. Lust of the eyes, you see it. And then desire conceived by the mind. Lust of the flesh, you want it. And then desire surrounded, surrendered to sin, pride of life. You deserve it. You deserve it. How many of you are amazed at all the messages that are out there right now telling you what you deserve? Aren't you amazed at that? A lot of marketing is pitched that way. Oh, you deserve it. Doesn't matter what it's going to do. Doesn't matter what kind of bondage you may be in. It doesn't matter this. You deserve it. I want you to think about the way the enemy pitched it to Eve. Exact same process. Go to the Mount of Temptation where Jesus is there on the Mount of Temptation. The enemy still used the same old tricks he tried on Eve. He tried it with the Son of God, Jesus. Eve failed. It's the reason we're in the mess we're in now. Those women, right? No, I'm kidding. Joking. Joking, okay? <laughs> but you know something? Jesus didn't fail. He didn't fail. He delivered. He didn't fall for it. The difference, let me tell you what the difference was. Eve was deceived. You got to understand that. The Bible says that. Eve was deceived. She she chose something over truth. But when the enemy came to pitch his whatever to Jesus, what did Jesus do? He raised truth. Truth Met the opposition. It wasn't that he agreed with the opposition, truth met the opposition. And that's what has to happen to us. Next, we see the pain of the world. The deception of the world, listen to this the deception of the world will carry you further than you want to go. It always does. Listen, the deception of this world will cost you more than you want to pay. And, and by the way, it goes back to the idea of what I said last week. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to over the years who basically said when, when they did what they did, they, they couldn't believe they were capable of doing what they did as it related to a particular sin. And they were, were the people that were here. They never knew it would cost them what it cost them. Look at uh, the second part of verse 16. He says, For all that is in the world, let's read the whole verse. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. What can it produce? Here it is. The pain of the world can produce loss of self respect, loss of respect from others, loss of joy. Loss of family, loss of health, in cases, loss of life, and most tragically, loss of hope. You say, how do you know this? David and Bathsheba. Remember David? Not many people God used more than King David. And even he was prey, and he fell. You want to read something that sounds like regret? Read Psalms 51. And he will describe to you what it means to buy into what the world's selling, to buy into what the lust, what the flesh wants, to buy in about all these different things, about this idea of deserving something. And he reached out to Bathsheba, and it cost him so much more than he ever knew it would cost him. And Psalm 51 is him pouring his heart out to God, just crying about the pain that came as a result. Next, the mastery of the world, the passing nature of the world. We see this in verse 17. It says, and the world is passing away in the lust of it. That means it's only temporary. This is, this is just a season. So the world, here's what he's saying. The world cannot satisfy you. Can't satisfy you. And next, we see the permanent nature of the will of God. Look at verse 17 again. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I love this quote. Someone has said this, we will never put this world beneath us until we have seen a better world above us. That's a great quote. The problem is we don't consider the world that's coming or the one that's above us. We settle for falling into the pits that this world offers. You see, as I want to warn you again, the enemy came and his whole purpose is to steal your joy, bring destruction, destroy you and he will use the world to do it. Many of you are sitting here today knowing good and well that he's capable. But the Lord came. Jesus came to a more abundant life, a life full of joy and a life of fulfillment. So here's the application. Have you been deceived into believing the messages of this world? Where are you at right now? I mean think about it. What are you buying that's not truth? You buying in these things? We have a whole educational system that's selling this. You know that, right? We have whole denominations in the Christian faith selling some of this stuff. I mean, it's all around us. What messages are you being deceived by? Let me tell you this the only way you'll recognize it as deception is you got to get to the truth. You got to know the truth. You need to read the Word. You need, to, you need to surround yourself with people that speak the word, that speak the truth, and live there. And then next, are you suffering from the consequences of following the world? Maybe you're here today, and you're like, you know something? I never dreamed it would lead me to where I'm at right now. Never dreamed. Maybe you need to talk to someone. Maybe you need someone to help come alongside of you. That's what the church is here for also. But here's the solution. I want to close with this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 24. He says, therefore. Now, we all know what therefore is there. In light of what I just said. That's what he's saying. In light of what I just said. Let that. Now, that he's referring to is truth. Okay? Let that. Let truth abide now, the word abide in the context he's using is, just like he used in, in the Gospel of John, it's that idea when you abide, you're, you're yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what you're doing, okay? You're yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So he says this, let truth abide, okay? Acknowledge truth, let the work of the Holy Spirit work in you based on that truth, that's what he's saying, in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life, a life beyond all this. These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, those who try to lead you astray. And by the way, there's a bunch of them out there. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. The anointing is another work of the Spirit of God. It says, the fact that the Spirit of God has anointed you in such a way that you can recognize truth. He's going to tell us that in just a moment. He says, and you do not need anything to teach you. Because when you've got the truth already working and the Holy Spirit's working that truth into your life, what did John tell us in his gospel? He said, the Holy Spirit's coming to convict, to teach, to guide. God. All those things, all this is happening. This keeps us from buying the deceptions. So therefore, and you do not need anything, anyone to teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it's taught you, you will abide in him. He's basically saying, be careful of the false teachers. Be careful of the mixed messages, the false teachings. Be careful what the world's selling. Abide in the truth, in the truth. Next week, we're going to close the series with looking at the weapons of the battle. But Before I leave the stage, I just want to lead you in prayer. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just come to you right now. and Lord, I know there was a lot of information given here today, but Lord, I just pray that you'll take your truth and drive it home. I pray for the follower of Jesus that's here in this room, and they have a testimony of faith. They know you as our Lord and Savior. And, and, Father, they recognize this battle many years ago. I thank you for those who are succeeding and not being squeezed into the mold of the world or being conditioned by the world. But, Father, I pray for that believer that may be sitting here today that, that has been conditioned somewhat. They have bought into some things. And it's affecting their relationships. It's affecting how they're living. It's affected their joy. It's affected everything about them, Father. Lord, I just pray, Lord, you'll bring them to a place of repentance, of confession, of getting back to your word, to live your truth, that those things that you intended for them will be restored unto them. And Father, most of all, I pray that we as a church will never, apologizing, will never apologize to attempt to be the standard bearer of truth. Father, as difficult as it is to speak truth into this world, I pray that we will never lose sight that that's the only hope for those who are outside of the truth is to lift up truth. And, Father, again, I want to reiterate, Father, for, for, for Jeremy and, and Jennifer and other young men and, and those who are in ministry, young ladies who are in ministry that are just setting out, Father, I just pray for them, Lord, that you would just help them to have a passion for truth that it would almost anger them to see how the enemy works and deception in so many marriages and so many families and so many individuals, Father, that they would just have a passion to, to lift up your truth and, in, 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 a, in a way that there's no mistaking the truth from the deception. Father, I pray. I pray for Jeremy. I pray for those that are looking to be a part of the work of your kingdom. There's no greater day than today to lift, than to lift up truth. And Father, we thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.